Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure episode 2. This is your brand new podcast where it's okay for you to have an insecurity. It's okay for you to share it. I'm Johnny Seifert and every week I'm going to be joined by a very special guest who's going to open up about something that affects their everyday life that I want you to hear. I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, but what I am is a listener and I want to hear your stories. In this episode, you're going to hear from two people, Made in Chelsea star Francis Ball about his insecurity with his voice and Olivia Marcus. Olivia says that her insecurity is control. This led to an eating disorder. If you're affected by anything that you hear, please visit beatingeatingdisorders.org.uk. I started by asking Olivia about her childhood. My childhood, all I can remember was happy memories. So I had a younger sister, two parents who are amazing, always did the right thing, always brought me up correctly, very close to my sister, even more close now, um, quite opposite in terms of I was always the older sister telling her what to do and I used to get really frustrated because I was always a tidy one, she was always the messy one. But overall, we had a really happy home, only happy memories. So you studied in school and then you went to university. What did you study? I studied psychology and criminology. And how did you find that? Absolutely loved it. It sounds cooler than it is, but it is amazing. It was a really interesting course. And what was life like at university? At the beginning, it was quite hard to adjust to change. I think a lot of people find that. You're moving away from home, and I was such a home person. I was always loved being at home, having my friends at me. So it was quite a big change going into a different place with people that you weren't that close to yet and having a routine and having to kind of just... No one settles you in. You just got thrown there. Your parents leave and you're kind of just thrown into the deep end. But yeah, it was really, really happy memories. I'd say first year is very exciting. The first few weeks, you know, you've got all new friends. You're going clubbing, you're going out. You're learning how to do things alone. It's a new course. Everything's really exciting. Just how everything is always exciting when it's something new. And then the reality kicks in where it is quite lonely. Um, I think everyone has this idea that university is really sociable, but, you know after the clubbing and after all that you are in a room alone you're not with your family and at that moment you can be in pre-drinks with everyone in your house where you're the popular one and everyone wants to know about you and then that's it and then it's back to normal and it's back to we're back in an empty house now yeah and I definitely think I felt that a lot especially in halls it's quite hard to have that homely feel it is very alone and those four walls by yourself you're kind of stuck with your own thoughts you're not preoccupied at school you've always got lessons to go to you're at school with loads of people whereas at university if you don't want to go to a lecture or you don't have a lecture on your you've got a lot of spare time and I think that's where I found it really hard You're at university, you're surrounded by friends, friends that you've grown up with, friends that you've made, acquaintances you made at university. You are in control. You're in control of your well-being, you're controlling your your time, your space, where you're going to go. But for you, that control wasn't enough. No, I'd say that I've always been, as a as like from all my friends, my family, as a control freak. So like how I said growing up, when my sister was messy, I was always the clean runner. I always stuck to routine. I always had a revision timetable that I always stuck to at school. And I think at university, as much as I was in control of, you know, I can clean my room, I can do this, it was you don't have a lot of control at university or really out there with nothing to do almost no structure, no one telling you go to bed at this time, no one telling you you have to do this from here till then and it's 
that spare time that I kind of felt like I was out of control and I didn't know what to kind of do, if that makes sense. But you came to university in a relationship with someone who had been in a relationship for a long time. So when you went to university, you already had that labour, you already had that setting. Surely you could have gone back to that person as your comfort net when you didn't know what to do. Um, I think as well, I with the control comes a whole perfectionist nature. And I think that I don't like telling people that I've got something wrong. Because I, I like being in control. I like having my own opinion, listening to my own advice. No matter what I tell people, I will always take my own advice at the end of the day. And I think that being a perfectionist... I don't trust anyone's opinion other than my own. If I did feel a bit uncertain or I did feel a bit out of control, I would internalise that and take it on my own back. You say that uh, you had a lot of anxiety which stemmed from the lack of control of a situation due to your perfectionist uh, nature. Yeah. So you couldn't control that relationship, you couldn't control your friendships. So you decided to that the only thing you could control was your food intake. Yeah, and even though it sounds, when you say it out loud, it sounds so easy, I didn't actually realise that I was controlling that. I became so obsessed with what I was eating, but I think it was trying to fill in that void of having nothing to do, having no control over my friendships, having no control over my relationships, that I just became fixated with food and what I was eating and what I wasn't eating and what I couldn't and making all these rules to try and feel that loss of control did you ever look at people around you and think well hold on a minute how is it that they can be so happy or when they're sad they know what to do yet i don't know how to control my own emotions yeah i find it really hard even now i find it hard because i think how can when i look at people and they're they can just easily go out and food to them is enjoyment and i thought how can they do that so easily or how can they not care about this and why do I overthink about it and because I still even when I was at my worst I still wouldn't open up to people and say you know I'm really struggling with this and always put on a smile on my face yeah I'm fine I'm fine always a happy one I think I convinced myself that I was also as happy as them and everyone else despite the fact I knew deep down that I went to bed every night and I was still stressing over things that no I knew no one else would be stressing about. I translated all my feelings into the whole food control. So if I was upset one day about a relationship, about a friendship, I would eat less and I would care more about eating. Even if I'd eaten the same thing that I'd eaten the day before, I realised and suddenly noticed that I was eating, I was panicking more about eating that because of something that had gone on in my day and it just showed that my behaviors were translating things that I wasn't able to verbally say I was showing in a non-verbal way I was showing people that I wasn't okay because I couldn't say it I was showing people I wasn't okay in what I looked like so you're controlling the food intake you have and you know being at university everyone's like well let's go out for dinner it's cheap it's you know student night did you lose any friends through the idea of well, she doesn't want to socialise with us, so, like, you know, whatever, we're just going to carry on doing our own thing. Yeah, I think people found it more annoying because I didn't say how I felt. So I would just be like, oh, well, I'm not hungry, or make the odd excuse that people thought I was being antisocial, or people thought, why is she so moody? Why does she not want to come out of her room? Or the other way is that because I was so happy, everyone's like, oh, she's fine, she just doesn't want to come. But I wouldn't say that I lost friends. I feel like 
I missed out on fun opportunities. So I don't think, I think my friends just were oblivious to it, but I think I completely isolated myself and missed out on all people's birthdays, like all the birthdays that I missed out on or events I'd be like, oh, I'll come after because I tried so hard to make myself not realise that, that there was something wrong so that I would still go, but I missed out on half of it or I wasn't actually there. I was there, but I wasn't enjoying myself. I was thinking of everything or I would compensate for it later. And if I thought, OK, I'm going to go for dinner, the next day I would have really high anxiety and be like, right, I'm not going to eat all day because of that event. That eventually you just kind of avoid going out because you think, it's not worth it the next day or I'm going to not sleep tonight because I know it, that this has happened. Now I look back and think that is such a shame that I didn't do that or that on my birthday I didn't have a piece of cake or on my mum's and dad's anniversary I didn't go for the dinner. I think that is such a shame because you could, don't get those memories back but I have my head screwed on and I know that at that time I know I couldn't have handled it and I think I was protecting myself thinking if I don't do that or I do that then there's going to be a different consequence. So I was kind of saving myself. Do you think we're quite dependent on food then to be at the centre of events that like you said of your mum and dad's anniversary that it was a dinner? Do you think that food is too important to a lot of us now? A hundred percent. I think we focus so much. I think as well, we focus so much on conflicting messages from Instagram or social media or whatever that should I have this? Should I have that? Is that bad? Is that good? If I have this, should I compensate for it later? I think there's so many mixed messages. But then again, I don't know if that's just my head because I always think people just have events that are enjoyable and the food's a bonus. Whereas when I go out, for me, that is the main focus. So I don't know if it's everyone. I do think it has become more of a thing and people don't know how to feel around food. I think people's relationships with food have become more disordered, I'd say. Well, it's also very much about, uh, as you said of Instagram, that oh, I need to get this food because it will look good on my Instagram. Or, wait, everyone, you can't eat, your food can go cold because I have to take my picture for my Instagram. Yeah, I think it's... Now I notice it more because I always think I notice it much more when people talk about the diet talk or they say, I'm going to treat myself or I can't have this, I'm not allowed to have this. And I get quite frustrated because I do think, well, you can have that, I can't have that which is a mad mindset, but I think I can't have that and it's such a tough decision for me to say I'm going to have this and you can have that and you won't care if you eat that. So why are you making such a big deal about it? But then as I've become more educated about it, I do always sit in bed and I always look up on the Instagrams and people's blog posts, listen to podcasts. I think everyone has a relationship with food whether it's a good relationship whether it's a bad relationship whether it's disordered everyone eats food so everyone has a relationship with food but it depends how people see food i'd say as well so whether they go out and it's an enjoyment they're going to take a picture of it because that's something exciting for them but then there's some people who take a picture of it to prove that they're eating and prove a point i think it's everyone's relationship with food is how they will react and it also forms their routines of food because if you're having your breakfast at seven o'clock every day you're having your lunch at 12 o'clock and you're having your dinner at six o'clock you're in a routine I think that's especially where I struggle with and a lot of people that I've like now I've educated myself with eating disorders it's all about routine so that was another thing that I used to say how can people go if you say oh let's go for lunch oh yeah and go and get a bit of cake after I didn't understand how people can just go and do that and not think about it mine was okay I'm gonna eat at this time I'm gonna eat at that time and if it's past that time I can't wait or I'm gonna have dinner so I'm not gonna have a snack now because dinner's in two hours it was so 
regimented and it was so time scheduled that I do think everyone does have a routine but some people are just so much more lenient with it if food isn't the center of their world because you needed a focus and you needed to focus to say yeah I've got this then that then and that after and you knew exactly what to expect and when to expect it what happens when the unexpected happens though and your food ran late or you were in a meeting and overran and you had to have lunch that one hour later i saw hangry for what it is um my mum always makes jokes saying i know you haven't eaten because you're hangry i got really agitated i'd get really anxious I would freak out if I was at university as well. It's really hard at university when you're living with people to hide something like that. So if I, someone had eaten some of my food from the fridge, I used to get so upset about it. And I'd be like, but they can eat anything here and they've chosen to eat my thing and I can only eat my thing. And I would kind of punish myself because I would be like, right, I can't have it now. And I think if I ever went away from the rules... It was just the anxiety. I I really punished myself and I took it really personally. I couldn't deal with that. But you did deal with it because it had to come to a head at some point. So what happened? How did you stop being in that routine regimented and know, look, something's going wrong. I'm controlling something. Food is out of my control now and it's controlling me, not me controlling it. I always knew, but I was so, like I said earlier, I was just really scared to ever admit to it and I was in denial for a lot of the time and I told my mum at one point look it isn't normal what I feel the anxiety I get and a lot of people I think had spoken to each other about how they were concerned how much weight I was losing and I went and got help and I spoke to someone I had a therapist every week I went to the NHS where I had to get weighed but even then I know that I didn't actually want help. I would anorexia is, I think, an eating disorder that's probably the people with it lie the most. I lied, things that I didn't even think that I lied about. I actually lied about. I would lie when I got weighed. I would tell everyone else, yeah, I've put on a pound. That I'd actually convince myself, like, yeah, I have put on a pound. When I knew I'd gone there and I'd lost. But there's nothing, no no one can do anything. It's all got to be you. So me, for months, I was lying to myself thinking, okay, I know it's really bad that I've eaten less or I know it's really bad that I've lost weight, but I will, it will be fine because I'm going to, I'm in control. I'll sort it out at a later date. Next week I'll start eating more or next week I'll put on weight and try a bit more. It was always that I was so convinced that I was in control still and I had no idea that I was out of control. And it was only a couple of months in that I realised this is not okay, this is not normal, how much I'm lying, pretending every day that I was at university that I was having breakfast when everyone would be like, okay, and I I was only kidding myself. Um, The disorder is something that, like I said, even if you don't verbally say it, it's on. you can see what I mean, you could see that I wasn't doing what I was saying I was doing. And it's when I panicked myself... And I, I remember I once, can't remember where I was, but there was one time I looked in the mirror and I thought, no, I'm actually scaring myself because I've been lying that I've, at the fine weight, I've been lying that I'm eating this and I'm not. And I actually looked at myself in the mirror and I actually got a fright. And it's something as well with eating disorders, I think people have body dysmorphia, don't see it. And I didn't actually see it until that moment. Even in pictures, I never saw it. People would be like, can you not see? I just didn't see it. Because I'd just been so in... I was convinced that I was still in control. 
And I think they got to a point where I was like, right, I look awful, I feel awful. I haven't even got the energy to lie. I was sick of getting weighed and it kept going down. And I think people realised and quickly clocked on that as much as I was saying, I was completely lying to everyone and myself. And what do they do? Because it's a catch-22 situation. They could go and confront you head-on and say, well, look, I'm worried about you, and you tell them they're over-exaggerating. They could talk behind your back to their friends and say, oh, look, I'm a bit worried about Olivia. She doesn't look right. Or they could go to your parents where it's like, okay, this is actually an issue, and this is a physical issue, and actually it's gone past that line of friendship now. Like, this is a natural issue that something has to do. What, what did your friends do? Did they understand what to do? No, and I don't think my friends still understand. I think unless you've actually gone through it, I don't think anyone understood. And that is one of the hugest reasons I think I was in denial because I just said to everyone, I'm fine. I said to my family, I'm fine because I thought no one's going to understand it. And if I actually sit there and say, I can't eat this, I feel like this, I feel like that after everything, that they wouldn't understand. So I kind of felt really alone with it that... That is why all the lying happened. I didn't want to feel like a burden to everyone. I didn't want to feel like I was annoying and the girl who couldn't have fun and felt sorry for herself and couldn't eat. Because if you actually sit there and say to someone who doesn't understand it, I can't eat, or, you know, I'm really ill, I'm really losing weight, the normal response I always got was, well, you can, you can pick it up and eat it. And it sounds so simple. And I, I got that. And I probably, a few years back, if someone said to me, oh, I can't eat, I'd be like, well, you can. It's really not that difficult. So I got so many responses like that that I actually felt like no one could help me. I felt like my friends didn't understand it, my family didn't understand it, and I think a lot of the time my friends got the wrong idea that they thought they were just being a really good friend by being my friend. They didn't have to sit there and understand the actual beneath the reason they just looked at me and just wanted to kind of help and just distract me rather than like realize the internal causes do you ever think they did that for themselves though more than for you that they wanted to say i'm the one that helps olivia come out of it i'm the one who olivia chooses to be to befriend yeah definitely i think that a lot of the time my friends thought that they were doing me a favor by inviting me out or they were just being nosy. They didn't ever say, so why do you think the reasons for this are? They would just be like, have you eaten? Are you this? Are you that? And I think it was kind of, they just felt good about it. It made them feel good. It made them feel like they were helping me in some sort of way when they actually, I don't feel like they were. You went to the NHS, you got the help. And now, a couple of years later, where are you at in your mind? I would say I've still... I don't think I'll ever get rid of that voice in the back of my head. Even if I eat, I will always have some sort of thought about it. Um, but I kind of did it as a way of putting my middle finger up to everyone. I think that the NHS, my friends, my family, everyone just focused on what I looked like. No one ever went into what I was actually thinking about it. As long as I was eating, everyone was like, she's fine. And so I wanted to kind of show that, yeah, I'm eating, but I'm still not okay. And 
that for me that was just eating and just trying and trying and trying and proving to myself that they do come hand in hand and that no one is going to understand and that I can do this by myself. You did this by yourself and you actually set up your own Instagram page which is called Ollie's Okay. Making such a statement to such a public domain, not just your friends are, but now making everyone aware of something's happened to you and you're out the other side. How did that make you feel? Because that anxiety, that control, you can't control that everyone's talking about you now. Yeah, it was the biggest thing I think I've actually done to date. I was thinking about it for ages and what actually helped me get through my recovery and kick-started it was because I couldn't go to my friends, I couldn't go to my family. I mean, I could, but I didn't feel like it helped. I used to watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts about people who'd gone through it. And I found it so helpful because it made me realise you're not weird that you're thinking all these. You're not, you know, that's part of the disorder. It's not you. There is people who are going through the exact same thing, feel the exact same way and have the exact same struggles that I felt like, what am I embarrassed of? If these people can do it and they really helped me, I should be doing that. And I was umming and ahhing and I made it, and I actually made it private at the beginning because I didn't have the confidence to, you know, do it and make it uh, so public. And loads of people kept requesting to follow me, people who'd obviously heard and seen it come up. And I kept declining, kept declining. I was so... I was almost embarrassed of it. And I'd put posts up already, and I just had my family, my friends who I had carefully selected... And I thought, all these people are just following because they're really nosy. They want to know. And if I'm not going to, they're not going to talk to me in real life. And actually, I wouldn't tell them my biggest, darkest secrets. Why would I put it out there and then share that with them? I felt like they weren't worthy of all of my thoughts. And then over the next few weeks, I just thought, if I'm going to actually do this, I have to. Like All these Instagram people, all these podcasts, they'd help me that I can't care what people think and as hard as that is i had to let go of control bringing that all together olivia here on secure the insecure your insecurity is control yeah how do you define control i would define control i actually don't know how i'd describe control because i think that so many parts of my world are so out of control that i don't know how to control it and if what's quite awful is as soon as you say the word control i think of food but for me, I would say control is trying to break control. And actually, control is just a negative word, in my opinion. And I think anything that is controlled shouldn't be controlled. And you should try and break out of that. If you were to write a book now, what would you call this chapter of your life? I would call this chapter in my life Ollie's Okay for two reasons. The first reason would be because I am a gay. But I'd also, and that I've got through where I got through and I don't regret any of it. I do think it's taught me such valuable lessons. But the other reason is because every single time, and I know this is quite common with people who have mental illnesses, someone said, are you okay or how are you? I always said okay. I never said I'm great or amazing or, oh, I'm really down. I just always said, yeah, I'm okay. And I think that's so important because people, when you say a word, people just assume that you're telling the truth. And I just always said that I was okay. And I think that's why my account was made. 
That was Olivia Marcus. Now, if you've been affected by anything you've heard, please check out beatingeatingdisorders.org.uk. Now, my next guest. He was one of the founding stars of Made in Chelsea back in 2011. He left the series and became a successful cider maker. Francis Bull, yes, you remember him from his friendships with Spencer Matthews and Proudlock. But he also had an insecurity, and it was because of his voice. This is what he had to say about it. Occasionally, usually if I'm a bit under the weather or recently been a bit under the weather, my voice can break during a, a conversation. And that's fine, you know, one-on-one, it's a bit like... I remember when I was, it must be about 17, and I had to read something to the class, and my voice broke, and, you know, it was one of those one of those embarrassing moments. I sounded like some sort of prepubescent boy having his voice breaking. I mean, I would laugh at it, at, at me if I... Because it's, it, well, it's, it's happened so rarely, but it's if it, if it does happen, you might as well take the opportunity to laugh at it. And then, obviously, there's the line which is crossed, I suppose, if people are, like, actually trying to make them or hurt their feelings or make them cry or whatever but there's there's a diff- there's a line between teasing someone and actually having malintent if you like what you've heard please give it a rating leave a comment subscribe and share on your social media platforms i cannot make this podcast successful without your help i've been johnny seaford and this is secure the insecure